everyone, and welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance and showing up in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics, rising authoritarianism, and racial capitalism? What beauty can we find in our resistance? I'm Reverend Jean Jeffress. I use they, them, theirs pronouns. I'm a United Church of Christ minister serving as the associate pastor at Plymouth United Church of Christ, the Jazz and Justice Church, in the ancestral and unceded land of the Ohlone people here in what is currently known as Oakland, California. And that's where I live too. This project is a uh, this podcast is a project of surge faith and is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christians turning to other white Christians to talk about race and white supremacy. We believe that Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy. And also, we believe we have a responsibility to tell a new story about Christianity for white Christian folks, because our lives, all of our lives, depend on it. And we do this work remembering that we are building up a new world. This recording, this live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's Song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. Welcome to the 300th episode of the Word is Resistance podcast. Wild, right? 300 The first episode, hashtag ReclaimMLK, dropped in January of 2017. And I joined the crew during Advent of 2019. My contributions have been a bit more sparse than some of the other contributors, but I consider it an honor to be a part of this body of work. What listeners will find here at The Word is Resistance is an excellent resource for lectionary preaching, or for anyone searching for an anti-oppression, anti-racist read on the text. Listeners will also find deep scholarship and exegesis, thoughtful reflection, vulnerable storytelling, and work that will pro- you will probably not hear from most pulpits. Sending so much gratitude to Reverend Ann Dunlap, who coordinates this podcast and does the administrative work to make, to make it happen. So thank you, Reverend Ann. And we've had... A handful of contributors and sound people over these these past five years. So I'm sending so much gratitude to all the contributors of this amazing work uh, of the po- of the podcast crew and for the diligence and patience of the sound folks. And I went back through and found as many names as I could. And I figured the 300th episode seems like a good time to give everyone a shout out. So here goes. We've had. Reverend Ann Dunlap, Reverend Drew Bongiovanni, Reverend Margaret Ann Ernst, Reverend Will Green, Reverend Sarah Howell Miller, Nicola Torbett, Dr. Sharon Fenema, Blythe Barnow, Alan Steele, John Bergen, Grace Aheron, Haven Heron, 
Reverend Seth Whispleway, Reverend Sarah Jordan, Brigida Vieira, Reverend Claire Brown, Reverend Kelsey Beebe, M. Jade Kaiser, Audrey Gale, Reverend Liz Kearney, and yours truly. And on sound, we've had Max Pearl, Claire Hitchens, Jordan Perry, and Matt Reno. Thank you to every single one of you. And if I've missed someone, I do apologize. However, y'all know who you are. And I'm sending out a huge swath of gratitude. So here at the Word of Resistance, we are still wrestling with Romans, rolling around on the floor with Romans, trying to get it in a headlock, and sometimes ending up in a headlock ourselves. I've listened twice to the entire Wrestling with Romans series. Some of the episodes I've listened to three times. I created a single document with all of the transcripts thus far and have read through twice. This is truly an incredible body of work. The scholarship is impressive. The reflections are deep and vulnerable. The stories about people's lives are so interesting. And I've also been moved by my, co- my pod crew contributors sharing their process, their frustrations, and their all too real stories of becoming confused and reconfused by the confusing and reconfusing nature of this ancient, difficult piece of mail that became scripture. As Daniel Kirk says in his book, Romans for Normal People, Romans is the most misused, problematic, and proof-texted letter in the Bible. We drop into Romans today in chapter 13, 8 through 14. We've already been given the cultural and political context for Romans in the previous episodes. We've already heard thoughtful and detailed scholarship, including word studies, detailed analysis of Paul's theological arguments and use of scripture. I don't have much to add to all of that. My pod crew mates have done an excellent job And everything one needs for a life-giving and liberative read and interpretation of Romans has already been said. What I'm going to do, simply review some of the points that have already been made as a way of working up to chapter 13, and then I'll just tell you what I think. Amen? Amen. Here is the reading for today, Romans 13, 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but instead... 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for flesh to to gratify its desires. There ends the reading. So seven or eight years ago, I attended the installation service of Reverend Dr. Diane Weibel, who was, at the time, the new conference minister of the Northern California Nevada Conference, the conference where I serve as a pastor. She has since moved on with her career. The preacher for that service was the Reverend Dr. John Dorhauer, the former general minister and president of the United Church of Christ. He has since moved on with his career. Anyway, he preached on one of Paul's letters. I don't remember which one, and I remember almost nothing from the sermon, almost. But he did say one thing that was, for me, a very important takeaway message. He said something like, Paul was not trying to convince us that we have to, that we all have to accept each other. Paul was trying to convince us that there is a God who has already accepted all of us and that that is where our focus ought to be. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He may have said love each other or something else each other, but the point is the action is God's and God is the one upon whom we need to focus when working together to unify God's people. At least, that is what my brain made of Dr. Dorhauer's sermon at the time, of what he said in his sermon. And I have hung my hat on that for all of these years, so thank you, Dr. Dorhauer, for that. We heard Reverend Ann in her episodes that one of the main messages in the letter to Romans is the sovereignty of God over that of Caesar. God unifies us around love and belonging because there is no real unity in the ways of empire. And if what we're striving for is faith that elicits action in the form of a general ethic of not being assholes to each other based on trusting in a God to whom we already belong— then it doesn't matter if I accept you or if I even like you. I'm committed to behavior that supports belonging. And that, I think, is the point of Paul's argument regarding the faith of Abraham we hear from both Reverend Ann and Reverend Liz. Reverend Ann told us that Abraham chose to trust in the promises of God and was circumcised, a behavior that embodied that trust. Reverend Liz told us, that when Paul talks about being justified by faith, rather than meaning that we can be assholes and reject people we don't think have the right kind of faith, it means we are, rather, we are woven, quote, woven into the lineage of faithful resistors of empire that came before us, end quote, which, as it turns out, the ancient Israelites needed to be for millennia. They needed to be resistors because of all the times they were oppressed and taken into exile and so forth, even before Rome rose to power. But Paul is not an idiot either. He understands power dynamics. He understands that unifying folks, Jewish and Gentile, even given that God is the one who unifies, is subject to social and political influences. And we have learned the context for this letter that a few years prior to the writing of Romans, Jewish people were expelled from Rome, only starting to return about a year prior to the writing of Romans. So the Jesus-following community that had been growing in Rome for some time was growing without the influence of the Jewish followers. 
And in his book, Arrogance of Nation, Arrogance of Nations, Neil Elliott writes, so when the Judeans who had been expelled returned, they were, when they were allowed to return, much of the community life they had previously known was in disarray, not to mention anti-Jewish sentiment was at an all-time high or, uh, you know, definitely a problem in that time. And what we glean from chapter 11 is that the Gentile followers were getting a little full of themselves, thinking that perhaps they had replaced the, the Jewish Jesus followers because not all the Jewish people were following Jesus. And we glean this about the Gentile followers because Paul literally has to answer the question, has God rejected God's people? Certainly not. And that's from chapter 11. Paul fervently, even desperately believed there is unity in Christ for all people, all people. Now that sounds really Christian in the 21st century. And I think this is why Romans is confusing and reconfusing because it's so hard to unwrap our heads around the modern separation of Judaism and Christianity, not to mention thousands of years of anti-Jewish readings of these things, but I digress. In the 21st century, of course, that idea of unity in Christ is Christian. We don't have to deny that, but for Paul, what it means was that in Jesus Christ, the promises of the God he had followed his whole life, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Bilhah, Zilpah, the promise that the whole world, all the nations would be reconciled to God. That was a very Jewish thing. And Paul believed through Christ, this was going to happen in his lifetime. Paul was dealing with animosity in Romans. The outcast Judeans returning, probably traumatized and perhaps resentful, they were coming back to rejection from the people who were, who were claiming their same God. So that's a hot mess. But Paul, ever dedicated to that God, that God of Abraham, who has already accepted us all and to whom we all belong, that Paul presses on with his argument. And so what have we got so far? We have learned that Paul was not a Christian. He did not convert. He did believe in Christ, which sounds really Christian, but he believed in Christ as the manifestation of the promises of the God of his tradition, Judaism. He believed Christ would come back soon and fulfill the promises of a unified world of all the nations coming together under a God of love and belonging, the God of his understanding. He taught that faith manifested in behaving like we trust in a God who has already accepted us all and to whom we all belong. That's what he taught faith was. Faith was behaving like we believe and trust in this God. Faith manifested behavior. 
He understood that this unity in which he believed was not just going to happen, that the needs of the vulnerable would need to be addressed, thus imploring the Roman believers to stop being haughty and acting like they were better than they were and better than the Jewish believers. Paul believed that the invitation to follow the God of his understanding was an invitation to resist worldly ways, ways of empire that are contrary to the reality that we belong to God and to each other. I think that is what Paul means in chapter 12 when he says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not, do not submit to the ways that separate us from each other and from God. And when Paul talks about salvation, he's talking about making the whole world right, repairing the world, not individual salvation, as Reverend Liz taught us from Dr. Pamela Eisenbaum's work. She said, and I quote, Paul's letter to the Romans is not to answer the question, how can I be saved, but rather to answer the question, how will the world be redeemed and how do I faithfully participate in that redemption? So where are we now? Chapter 13. So chapter 13 starts off with that whole be subject to the governing authorities thing, which I think people sometimes use as go ahead and call the police um, or just some way that's not helpful. It's easy to see how that particular part can be misused. In the Jewish Annotated New Testament, the commentary notes that the specific authorities to which Paul refers are not named. And it says it could be the temple authorities, which would, quote-unquote, you know, be in line with the ways that these Gentiles are instructed to live respectfully toward Jews is to accept the authority of the Jewish communal leaders. That would be one of the ways that they were expected to behave. This is about behavior. And when this section goes on to talk about paying taxes, it could very well be the temple taxes. And that would make sense given where the reading picks up at verse 8. And verse 8 says, Oh, no one anything. That's the first part of it. That's where we pick up. And I think that could very well mean respect the communal life here, submit to the authorities of this community, and pay your damn dues. In other words, it's not owing anybody anything. It's communal life. And the point of communal life is to love each other. And loving each other fulfills the law. And Paul goes back to the Decalogue, to what we call the Ten Commandments, the do's and don'ts of being God's people. And besides, Paul says, you know what time it is. It's time to start behaving like we trust in a God who has already done the work of accepting us all. All of us, all of us, all of us, all of us. The point of all of this is to behave like we belong to each other because that's what it means to be God's people. Because Paul points out salvation, the redemption of the world and our participation in that redemption, that that redemption is near, that it is very near. And I think what Paul wanted these ancient, ancient people and wants us to understand is that because of God in Christ, we belong to each other, like really super duper extra deeply meaningfully, so very importantly, I need you all to understand this, is the whole 
point to behave like we belong to each other, to resist the ways of the world that oppose belonging, that God, not Caesar, will save us, and that this is how redemption happens when we behave like we trust in a God who has already gathered us in, when we behave like we belong to each other, when we welcome the stranger, when we center the vulnerable, when we divest from harmful ways of being, when we behave like, as Lindy's Pinkard says, that we are not individually salvageable. We're not individually salvageable. It's not personal salvation. Salvation means all, and all means all. I feel like Paul is desperate at this point. I don't know if he is, but that's how it feels to me. Romans is a love letter from Paul to God's people saying, I love you so much. I want you to understand the overwhelming love of God and Christ. I want you to participate in the redemption of the whole world. And I want you to get your shit together and act like you belong to this God who loves you. And for God's sake, act like you belong to each other. Dear Rome, we belong to each other. Love, Paul. Amen. My call to action this week, since I think I've focused on countering an anti-Jewish read of Romans this time, is to study your Hebrew Bible. Do some word studies or study the Talmud. And since it's just about time for the Jewish high holidays, check with your local synagogues. See if they need security for their special services. Organize some Christian allies to stand watch. I did this for a local synagogue before the pandemic. It was a wonderful experience. And thank you so much for joining me wherever you are in this world today. Let us know how your action goes. If you do one, we'd love to hear from you. Please comment on our work by commenting on SoundCloud, Twitter, or Facebook. And stay tuned for next week's episode, episode 301, where you will hear a wrestling resistance word from Dr. Sharon Fenema. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org. Our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. We are also on Spotify. Give us a like, rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Transcripts are available as well on the website, which include references and resources and links to actions and other things. Finally, A huge thanks, as always, to our sound editor this week, Claire Hitchens. Thank you so much, Claire. Blessings to all of you and all that you do. Love and liberation to you all. Until next time, I'm Jean Jeffress.